Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Purpose Podcast. My name is Haas Rauscher. The goal of this podcast is to help men find and fulfill their purpose. I'm going to help them be good, strong leaders, good, strong men, good male role models in their communities. I'm going to do that by having conversations, I'm going to invite guests on. I'm going to ask our guests, what is your purpose? What do you think your purpose ought to be? How did you find that purpose? And what do you do every single day? How do you get up, get after it, and go and fulfill that purpose? Our guest today is one I've been pretty excited to talk to for a long time. He is a husband, a father, an entrepreneur. Clint Walker, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Haas. Thank you. How about yourself? Doing very, very well, especially now that I've got your uh, your mug on the computer. I am doing wonderful. It is an excellent Friday. So, <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> so uh, I like to uh, start with some rapid fire questions so that we can kind of develop a rapport. We, uh, we already did a little bit um, trying to get some stuff figured out and some chords connected, but um, I'm still going to ask you some, some cues and hopefully you give me some A's. Uh, what is your favorite day of the week? Oh, wow. This is, boy, you really just jumped right into it. Favorite day of the oh, week. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, good grief. I'd have to say Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Why is For, that? Because I like, I like tacos a lot and I don't know. <laughs> that makes sense. There's not like. You know, there's not like a turkey Thursday or, a, you know, fast food Friday. You know, Tuesday is the only day that has like a food to it. And I like tacos. Right. So I kind of gravitate towards that. Because when you, if you ever got, have you ever gone to like Taco Tuesday at a Mexican place before? Yes, sir. Yep. It's like having a little mini vacation right after you started the worst day of the week, which is Monday. Yeah. That's funny. So I do have to ask you, you're in Montana. How yes. is the, uh, how is the Mexican food in Montana? How's the Mexican food in Montana? Well, uh, we lack, we lack a important ingredient to, uh, Mexican food in here in Montana and that's Mexicans to make it. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I don't mean that derogatory. I grew up in a Mexican household, uh, which a lot of people don't, right. you know, would never respect, uh, but I did. And um, I really like Mexican food. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, we would, you know, during uh, Christmas, we would go to my grandmother's house. This is my stepfather. And we would make tortillas and, and uh, you know, tamales and all these things. So I like authentic Mexican food. And uh, in Montana, the best place to find authentic Mexican food is probably my house or, or one of my friends, <laughs> all my friends know how to cook pretty good too. That's awesome. Yeah. My, uh, my mom and dad, well, we've got an aunt and uncle that live up in Cody, Wyoming, and they're struggling with the same issue. Oh, yeah. And so my mom and dad, I think their retirement goal is to, uh, retire and go up there and start making authentic Mexican food. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, actually since COVID, you know, with like the great migration, um, we, you know, we do have, uh, one family in the Valley that they own a few of the Mexican restaurants. They're all owned by the same family and, um, and they do a, a pretty good job, but I mean, you know, man, you're in Texas, right? So Texas, you've got, yeah. You got the best of both three worlds. You got Tex-Mex, you got Southwest, and then you got authentic Mexican depending. And it depends on where you go. You find that right. And in Montana, you know, you got Taco Bell 
and then, <laughs> and then you've got uh you know a, a okay mexican food and then you got clint's house <laughs> so that's how it works that's awesome no that's awesome so uh moving on i believe that i am watching you sip whiskey if i am uh if that's I'm true correct. that's that's bourbon yes sir yep yeah what is your favorite whiskey oh sip? that's honestly I, I don't have a favorite um my favorite you know favorite whiskey to sip has to do with who i'm sipping it with right if i'm i like to you know hang out with the boys have a good cigar and have a have a drink and talk about the day we just had or um you know just life in general and it generally the the taste is driven by the conversation i actually really like that and i i agree heavily um i've been sober for a little bit now not for any bad reason just because I'm trying to lift weights and lose, like lose weight. And it's hard to do it when you're taking in all the alcohol. Sure. So I've got, I haven't drank in a while, but when I am drinking, I, it's so hard to pick a favorite. And like you said, it's, it's so situational. Like I think my favorite is probably bullet whiskey, but that's just because of the person that um, I associate with bullet whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Bullet, yeah. So Who is that? Bourbon. Uh, that would be my, one of my best, uh, Ethan. I met him in college and he lives up in uh, Massachusetts. And so he actually kind of introduced okay. me to higher end whiskeys. So, um, yeah, but. I like Bullet a lot. In fact, uh, over New Year's, we went down to a uh, ranch there in in uh, in El Campo. Uh, it's uh, the the guys that own Tough Country Bumpers that they're in your state. And um, every time we go down there, we we you know have quite a party. And we we brought like three cases of uh, Bullet whiskey to the New Year's. Uh, bullet bourbon awesome. oddly enough it was cheaper a buddy of mine bought it in a in a costco i think in california of all places and brought it out uh because it was more expensive in texas which is kind of rare you know but right anyway that's yeah that's a good one that's a good go-to yes sir yeah best bang for your buck i think i don't i don't think that there's any whiskey for the same price that can beat it i mean you can get a, a 70 dollar you know bottle of whiskey that'll beat it but for 30 bucks or 35 Agreed. or whatever people are paying for it. You can't beat it. So one last Agreed. rapid fire question before we get into the meat, what is your, yeah. and you may have already done this, so it may not be a dream hunt, but what is your dream hunt? Oh, I haven't done it. Um, but my, my dream hunt would be, um, hunting red stag, uh, oh, in New Zealand specifically. Um, and, I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. So years ago I went to Safari club for like the first time I've ever been. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to that show, but it's just, it's numbing. Uh, everything is so over the top cool and, and also so expensive that it's just like, you can't even believe it. I, I, you're talking, you know, it's not uncommon to see a, a shotgun or a legacy, um, you know, double, uh, double gun or whatever for, for a big game and safari that are like half a million dollars. Right. Good Lord. For, right. And it's just, but they're just incredible works of art. So at first, you know, like my first reaction is like, this is atrocious. Right. And then I start to like, look at, you know, oh, wow, look at that detail and all that's hand engraved. And, you know, you can't just buy a knife there. It's, you know, it's like a, a you know, knife with a, a mammoth 
tusk uh, handle, right? I mean, it's just incredible stuff, right? So I walked around the show and a buddy of mine's like, dude, you know, well, like what hunt would you do? And for whatever reason, like a red stag, I just, it, it I'm just drawn to that, that animal, uh, might be the rack. This is a elk, uh, that's behind me. Actually, that's a, uh, uh, Miriam elk, which is this, if you were to Google Miriam elk, uh, they're extinct. They've been extinct since the turn of the century. Oh, wow. That is the mount that comes up this specific one and you'll see the you see the 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 palm here like right here right it's like a little bit of a paddle um if if you google it this is the actual image that comes up this is the only this one there's two of these in existence one's here and one's in the smithsonian um so that's just a collector piece but for whatever reason like a red stag you know it's like the 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 antlers are are even bigger more majestic um i like the fur because i tie flies um and uh the meat's supposed to be really good and then going to new zealand i would love because i'd love to fly fish and i would i would do the you know go fly fish for some of those big brown trout that they have uh so that's the dream that's awesome yeah that's a really uh really good unique answer that uh you know everybody says like bighorn sheep or mountain goat or you know something like yeah. that. Um, no, that's a, that's a cool answer. I appreciate that. So, um, so let's get into it, Clint. What is your purpose? Ooh, um, all right. So my purpose, I want, I want to preface this, uh, you know, your purpose throughout your life, uh, you may find that your purpose evolves. Um, it, it may change. And, and I'll tell you how, you know, for me, um, my purpose is to be a teacher and a leader and a mentor. Okay. Now those might be all the same uh, thing. Um, but I'll step back from that uh, for a second. Uh, you mentioned at the onset of the podcast, I have two kids. Um, you know, my son is, uh, is 14. He'll be 15, you know, in November. Um, so he just turned, uh, for, I'm sorry, he's 15. He'll be 16 in next November. My daughter uh, will be 16 in May. Um, so very close in age. And since the kids were little, um, it's a very common thing for a parent to ask their kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And the trouble with that is it makes you reflect inward because you're like, what is it that I want to do? Right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, intentionally, my wife and I, we ask our kids, what does the world need? You find what, what, and how are you going to fill that need? So what, what does the world need that you can fulfill? Right. And if that's a, a a teacher, a police officer or whatever, then you kind of go from there. And what it, what it does is it changes the, the view from inward to outward. And, uh, for me, in business, you know, prior to having kids, I've always liked, uh, g- you know, giving instruction to some degree, whether that was, uh, you know, long range precision shooting or, um, you know, p- pick something, teaching a friend how to, how to dive or surf or, you know, something like that. And when I, when I had kids, it was like, wow, this is my opportunity to really develop two uh, leaders, right. To, to build these kids into something that will, that they will be a contributor. And, um, 
and that's that's really what it is for me day to day. Uh, for me right now, my purpose currently is to just ensure that that they have the best start um, to their life and they're ready for it when they go. Um, and that means, um, you know, instilling more in them so that I don't have to leave them something to to survive on. Uh, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, it's common for people to talk about, you know, you're going to leave your kids X amount of money. I've told my kids, I'm not leaving you any money. You're on your own. Uh, you're going to get a head start and don't rely on a check that never comes. It's a worse position you can put somebody in uh, to be reliant mm-hmm. on that sort of thing. And it's really difficult um, to do because today, you know, I have more means than, than, uh, than I did when I had, when we had kids. Right. Um, I mean, we're gonna have to try really hard to spend it all. I guess is what I'm saying, but I'm good at spending money. So I'll probably do it. (laughs) Um, anyway, I'm sorry. That's a long, it's a long answer, but, um, but that's, that's ultimately what it is. And once the kids, uh, move out and go on their own and start to become their own, uh, you know, people, um, then that, that may evolve, but it will always have more to do with mentorship and, and, uh, and leadership. No, I really appreciate that. And, uh, I think that, um, the idea of not leaving, uh, your kids a a guaranteed, I don't want to call it a way out, but a guaranteed, um, check. I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a nice idea because, I've always wondered, um, number one, how my life would be different if I had that secured check. And number two, what's going to happen with my kids if my goals are fulfilled? You know what I mean? Um, and I like the way that you approach that. Uh, you're saying that you're going to um, help them get a good head start, but they're still going to have to build the life that they want. Um, I think that's key. And I think that a lot of parents who um, work their ass off to uh, to achieve great things like you have it, sometimes it bites them in the ass because their kids um, don't have to put in any of that effort to to get where they want to go. And so I, I I agree a lot with what you're doing, and I think that it's it's uh, pretty important. So are we back? Hey, there you are. What's up, man? Dude, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about the bush league bullshit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's no problem. Um, so where. I lost, you know, you're probably still recording because you were talking, you were talking about um, uh, leaving kids, you know, something behind and whatever. And that's where I, I dropped, you dropped. Yes, sir. Yeah, no, I, I like your approach to that because, uh, you know, as anybody does, I grew up in a, in a mixed, um, I guess, a mixed income community. You know, everybody does. Sure. Um, and I've always wondered about, we were, we were firmly middle class and that kind of depended on the year as to how middle-class we really were. Um, so I've always wondered, um, what I would do. Number one, what my life would be like if, um, I did have that check hang, hanging over my head, honestly, um, right. if I did have that check hanging there, um, and then what I'm going to do with my kids, if, you know, if I achieve my goals of, of building that, um, that monetary success. And so I just appreciate your comments about that because, um, it makes me feel better about leaning towards the idea of not giving kids, um, everything that they could ever imagine to live off of when they get older. Um, yeah. and I've seen it go both ways. So, 
Yeah. I, well, I'll tell you, I, I want to, I'll touch on that a little further. I think it's definitely a, a big part of my, uh, ethos, you know, or DNA, um, you know, the, the parenting, you know, I, I grew up poor, um, and this isn't like a woe me story, but, you know, broken home and, you know, traveled, you know, just moved in and out of hotels and homelessness and, you know, halfway houses, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, I dreamed about, you know, being successful. I, I dreamed about, uh, you know, having attaining wealth, but, you know, wealth for me at the time was really, uh, you know, a vision of what a neighbor might, might've had or a neighborhood that I drove through and go, my gosh, I can't imagine being able to own a house like that. And, um, and, and it was, it was tough, especially in my younger years, you know, even when I got out on my own and moved out when I was 16 and, and I remember just going, man, how do people afford to take vacations? Like, I can't believe this. Like, how do you drive a nice car and take a vacation or, you know, buy a big television. I mean, it was just so out of reach for me. And, um, you know, it, I was a, it was a grind. You know, I'm a hustler. I'm like, I'm going to freaking figure out a way. And now looking back, the friends that I grew up with that had, you know, quote unquote, everything, um, that, you know, a, a lot of them have succumbed to addiction or, uh, you know, had other problems and, I'm like, man, shit, who knew I was the lucky one, you know, I, uh, and so it's, it's constantly on my mind, especially with my daughter being, you know, she'll be 16 in May, but she's already driving and, uh, you know, it's tough not to, you know, say here's a nice brand new vehicle and, you know, whatever, but, uh, the alternative to that is I, I, let her buy a truck off of me. You know, she wants to, she wants to be in the rodeo and she's a, she's a, she's a cowboy and, uh, you know, she wants our diesel pickup truck and, you know, whatever. And so <laughs> for me, it was like, okay, well, uh, here's this truck and you're going to, you're going to pay for it. And, um, you know, the way that it'll work out, it'll teach her how to manage money. It'll teach her about how to uh, budget. Um, it'll teach her how to, you know, plan for fuel mileage and that sort of thing when gas prices fluctuate. Um, and it's, it's tough on her. I know that it's tough. Um, and it's tough for me sometimes to not just go here, just take this money and go do, do, do this with your friends. Um, and sometimes we do, don't get me wrong, but, uh, right. they need to understand the value of money and, uh, and then also the value of what it takes to earn that money. That's, that's the most important. Uh, yeah. So yeah, struggle. No, That's I, definitely... I like that a lot. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I saw multiple different kind of like I was saying multiple different sides of that scenario. You know, the, the, the kids that had money that their parents made them work for it. And then the ones that, um, you know, didn't make them work for it. it, it, it it's always a, let's talk about, um, you building your businesses give me uh give me a little bit of an sure. idea of how that path happened how did you build your first business um other than i guess you talked about um not being the most fortunate of uh of young men uh was that the only driver for you to build a business or what else drove you to do that no i mean what drove me uh well early on so my first 
uh, business, um, I had a, it was a hat company. It was called headgear and it was like a, like a do rag thing that you'd wear as you'd wear it underneath your football helmet. Um, and my best friend in high school, uh, his mom, you know, she's like, Hey, I like this idea. You know, she, she put up the money to buy the material. We designed the thing. I actually have one at my house, uh, my home office still to this day. And I, I needed to get Dion Sanders to wear it in order for me to like really for it to take off. Cause he always had kind of a do, a do rag thing on. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, he, he didn't, so I didn't make millions off of that. <laughs> and then I started installing car stereos, uh, the same, the same friend, uh, it was his dad, uh, was an engineer. And so I had a keen interest in car stereos. Uh, you know, when you grow up in the ghetto, everyone's got a trunk of funk. And uh, now I say the ghetto, but, uh, you know, people who grew up in Garden Grove, California, uh, you know, they'll, they'll know it's kind of a ghetto-esque. Um, and uh, uh, anyway, so his, my, my buddy's dad, uh, Roger, he, he uh, taught me, you know, what a, what a you know, ground wire was and, you know, hot and remote and all that stuff and started installing car stereos. And, uh, anyway, um, when I got out of high school, I didn't have a plan. I, I wasn't making a plan in high school cause I was working. I, I started working, uh, when I was, uh, 14, I had my first job at, at uh, target as a, they call it a zoner, you know, people that put all the shit away that you, leave behind. He decided to check out, I don't want this. And he just drop it off. I was one of the critters that put that back. Yes, sir. And of course I lied on my application. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, told him that I was 16 and you know, I was working after hours and whatnot, but, uh, I worked all through high school. Uh, and it was between that and football. And, uh, I wasn't good enough to get like a full ride scholarship for football. I had some partial, uh, scholarship opportunities. Um, but I, I needed to survive, you know, so my friends, they were going out and going to pizza parties and, you know, such. And, and I'm, I didn't hang out with my friends after high school. I went to work. Um, in fact, I would get out of football practice at, uh, it'd be about seven thirty by the time I'd showered and everything. And my shift at the grocery store started at eight o'clock and I'd basically clean the meat department between eight, 8 PM and 12 PM at Ralph's grocery store in Garden Grove, California. Um, did that every single, uh, night, uh, my junior year through, through my senior year. And I wasn't ashamed of it. You know, it just, I, I had different priorities. I mean, I had to pay rent <laughs> and, uh, my other friends, they didn't have that. Um, so when I got out, um, I was like, man, I, I tried, uh, playing football. I thought maybe I can you know, get a big college to see me and whatever. And I just kept getting banged up. Um, so, uh, at some point I realized, look, I'm, I'm just not going to do this. I needed, uh, I wanted to go in law enforcement. I determined, uh, that would be a good path for me. Um, and, uh, but I couldn't get hired anywhere because affirmative action, this is the peak of affirmative action. So I graduated high school in 1991 peak of affirmative action in California. So if you're white, you're basically not going to get hired anywhere. Um, and, th and I take that back. There were guys that were getting hired, but they were coming back from the Gulf war and they would get, you know, additional points added to their overall score. Um, so at one point I decided to join the military, uh, join the army 
and uh, 1993, and uh, I got injured. So I didn't get to go do that. And I was like, I mean, so I was in for a little bit, um, but I didn't get to fulfill it. And then I got out and I'm, I dislocated both of my arms uh, there and I'm not going to be able to get a job as a cop. So the, the short story, the short answer to what drove me to start a business or what drove me in business was failure. That's what drove me. Um, every time I failed, I didn't just stop and lay down and go, okay, I give up. I'm going to go work, uh, you know, as a, as a cashier at target or whatever. And that's no offense to anyone that's working as a cashier at target. I'm just saying as, as a career, it wouldn't be for me. Um, it was failing and then going, fuck, you know, I gotta, I gotta pick myself up now and, and I gotta keep going. And, um, honestly, when I look back, I mean, there's two ways to, you know, relive, uh, your history. And one is to focus on the failures that, that got you where you are. And the other is just to celebrate the highlights. Um, and you know, when you do an interview like this, I think rarely you, you celebrate the failures. You know, you talk about the highlights, i.e., you know, social media, that's the best place to see people's highlight reel. Um, I focus on the failures. Um, and I do that because I, I know, at this point in my career, um, that I'm, you know, people, uh, for whatever reason, look up to me, um, for, you know, maybe I did something that they, you know, that they want to achieve, especially in the firearm industry. And I want them to know, man, like that day is going to come where you're going to, you have to rely on, on just your, your own heart, no one else's advice, not what you got in the bank, not what you got in the gas tank it's going to take heart. And if you don't prepare for that day, um, ahead of time, you know, when you need it, um, you're going to be without it. So, uh, it was failure. Um, that's what drove me. Um, and that's the, again, the long answer I'm trying to be, I want to be explicit as I can. And, and the answers I'm giving, because I do hope that someone out there is listening and goes, man, that, that ex- that's me that explains this or, or, or awesome. Clint, we are back online. Um, hopefully this will be the last of the hiccups. And I believe that when we were done, uh, or when everything, uh, when the shit hit the, the fan, we yes. were talking about failure, which is ironic. There you go. Um, <laughs> tell me about, um, here's an interesting topic that I don't know that we've had, uh, discussed on the purpose podcast. Sure. Tell me about watching your kids fail and what it's like to see your kids fail. How do you help them through that? Um, does that hurt as a parent? Have your kids failed? Um, what (laughs) walk me through a little bit of that. All right. Um, well, there's, uh, there's some really good examples. Uh, and it's, uh, it is painful uh, to watch your kids fail. Um, I, I coach uh, youth football uh, here in the Flathead Valley. Um, have coached, gosh, since uh, you know flag football days, and then on up through, you know, like Pee Wee, I guess is what you'd refer to it as, um, pre pre uh, junior high. And uh, then for for a few years, we had a place in North Carolina, had a house there, and and we decided to move there for a couple of years uh, while I was getting another company off the ground. And and it's a different game altogether for football. It's uh, more like Texas, as you know, 
Um, and my son, um, you know, he, it's funny, you know, very similar to how I was at that age. Um, he's smaller. Um, you know, no one would look at me today and go, wow, you're the little, the little kid in school, you know, Mm -hmm. and my, my son definitely was that guy. And, um, you know, I have to say, you know, one thing about my son Colton, he's, he never gives up. Um, he, he's taken some hellacious hits over the years, uh, being the smaller kid on the team, but anyways, bounces right back up. And, and that's never been a problem for him. What, what became a problem was that, you know, kids that were taller, uh, were, you know, getting the ball thrown to them, even though they couldn't catch nearly as good as my son could. Um, when we were in North Carolina, I, I did not coach. I decided to, you know, sit that out. I had some obligations, business obligations that it just wasn't going to be possible for me to do. And, and it was tough, uh, to, to watch, you know, especially when there's favoritism and that sort of thing. And, and I did tell the kids both that I wanted them to play, um, sports, you know, pick a sport and, and play and had to be a team sport because I want them to get a taste for, uh, politics um, you know, that is, you know, the coach's son gets to play the most or whatever, which not in the case in, in my, in my case in particular. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, sometimes that happens. And in fact, it, it didn't, that didn't really happen in North Carolina. Um, but, uh, when he got into junior high ball, for sure, um, you know, they were just throwing the ball to tall kids and we'd watch him drop the ball and my son would come home very disappointed. I mean, I can tell you the snow is still on the ground here. We still have about three feet of snow at the house and, uh, but it had melted enough where the streets clear. And as soon as that streets clear, my son's out there every day wants to throw the ball. Um, the more you catch, the more, you know, the more experience you get with it. He's extremely determined. Um, so he makes up for everything, uh, aside from his height, he makes up for in, in his, in his, in his try in his effort. Uh, he works out nonstop. Um, but it's been tough. It's been tough to, to watch. Um, my daughter, on the other hand, play volleyball and any parents out there that, that have kids, if you have daughters, you know, that, that, uh, girls are just fucking mean. I mean, girls are really mean. Um, I never realized how mean girls were until I had a daughter and, my daughter does, she's the opposite of my son. She's extremely tall. Uh, you know, for her age, she's, she's been five, seven since she was, you know, like in fifth grade. Um, and, um, she chose volleyball. I want to point out my kids, they played all different sports, uh, basketball, volleyball, uh, football, softball, baseball, uh, soccer, and it was like, just find one that you like. And just because I played football, I don't need my son to go play football. I don't need to live through him or anything. My daughter chose volleyball, very competitive. North Carolina is incredible. Uh, they have some incredible volleyball programs there. But when we came back to Montana, uh, we found that girls were just mean to her because she's, she's pretty and tall. Um, and uh, it's, it was hard to watch. It was really hard to not intervene. It was very difficult for me not to go talk to the coach and say, what the, you know, what's going on out here? Um, and I'll tell you something, man, this, this is really tough. Um, and this in part, I think I might've even shared on my 
social media about my daughter. She dislocated her kneecap uh, when she was about nine years old. And what I didn't realize when it happened, she had fallen while ice skating. And I am that dad that says, you know, get up and brush it off. Um, and I, I did that that night. Uh, her knee was swollen. I, I traveled on a trip. I came back. Long story short, um, her knee's still swollen. And it's been like almost three weeks. So I'm like, well, let's take her down to the doctor, get her evaluated. Well, she had broken kneecap. She had a freaking broken kneecap. And, you know, immediately I'm thinking, well, uh, all the plans with her are out the window. I'm at the buyer a horse and a, you know, BMW and, you know, whatever, right? <laughs> Make up <laughs> parenting fail. <laughs> she had to go through rehab. Um, it, it was tough. She didn't have the range of motion in her knee and, and whatever. It was very problematic. And there's a, uh, a thing, girls get it in particular, it's called Os, Osgood Schlatter's. Um, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, that girls generally get it more than boys because what happens is when they grow, the uh, the, the bones in between the knee are growing or around the knee, you know, your femur and, and your... Um, uh, what am I thinking of here? Uh, tibula, fibula. Tibula, yeah. Um, those are growing fast and the kneecap doesn't grow as fast. So it uh, tends to dislocate. It becomes, uh, you know, kind of chronic. And you see it a lot in girls, especially girls that, you know, are tall. And uh, she was suffering from that. And so she was having knee issues ever since that had happened. Um, she played on a volleyball team and these girls, I mean, it, it was very, very difficult for me to not, I actually wanted to beat up this girl's dad. I know this is going to sound bad, but I, I grew up, you know, <laughs> like I said, in the hood and you know, you, you solve things a couple ways, but I was just so irritated by this, this girl and, and her parents and stuff that I'm just like, you know, find, you know, give me a reason here. I'm going to kick your ass. And very <laughs> difficult for me to just bite my tongue. And this, this went on for over a year. Uh, at any rate, um, my daughter gets to the end of that volleyball season and she's very quiet. Um, she's, you know, she has an internal drive. She doesn't go telling everybody what she's going to do. She just goes and does it. And she starts doing this weight training and all this, like, for a year, for the whole off season, she's doing weightlifting. She's, she's doing all these different clinics and all this stuff. And I mean, she becomes, she's a monster. She is buff, um, incredibly strong. Like, wow, she's getting ready. Um, oh, I'm sorry. She, she was going into high school and then of course COVID happened and she wound up getting COVID during tryouts. Right. And so she goes and tries out and the, and the coach is like, and I told my daughter, so listen, when you show up, you know, everyone's been practicing for weeks already. They've already picked the team, but they said they'd give her a tryout. She goes and, uh, and, um, she, she does a couple days of trials. She goes, dad, I'm first at everything. I freaking, we run laps. I'm lapping people. We do this. I'm doing this. If they jump, I'm jumping higher. They get to the end. They tell her, Oh, Hey, we already picked the team, but you know, you're really fast. You should try out for track. And she was devastated. Right. So then that whole off season, she goes and just works out and does all the stuff. She's like coming back. She's going to be a monster. Goes to tryouts. She's a sophomore now. Goes to her, her softball, her sophomore tryouts. 
and uh, dislocates or blows out her knee in the first 30 minutes of tryout. Blows it out completely. She continued to do the tryout, even though she tore her MCL and ACL. The coach, one of the coaches saw her knee was swollen. It's under this knee pad. So can you pull your knee pad down? And she did. And they went, holy crap, you know. And they contacted us. They said, listen, we don't know how long she practiced for after, but we didn't force her. She did it on her own. My daughter wouldn't quit. Um, she had to go undergo surgery um, to have her knee rebuilt. And she's done that. She's still to this right now. She's still in, in, uh, in rehab for it. And it's been, it was, it, it was very, 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 very difficult um, to, to see that. Uh, happen and especially for a sophomore I mean you know kids are going through all kinds of stuff and you know the reality is I told told the kids in each case with my son I I can't be big for you on the football field you got to be big for yourself I can't take a hit or deliver one you got to do that yourself I can't catch the ball Um, you got to catch it yourself and they know that so they're reluctant to hang their head low. Um, and I tell them, all I want out of you is effort. I just want you to, to be trying. Um, but with my daughter especially, it's been challenging because I watched her rebound twice and have life happen twice, okay? The COVID thing, you know, let's face it, um, that's my, you know, all my poor kid COVID story. There's millions of kids out there that were impacted by COVID, right? They didn't, didn't get to go to prom. They couldn't compete their senior year and get the scholarship that they were after. I mean, numerous things, right? Um, she recovered from that, goes back and has, you know, her, her knee blow out, right? Um, and that's life, right? Uh, I didn't quite want it to happen to her this early, right? But I know especially seeing how she's rebounded from that. Um, I know that she's going to be an incredible woman because of these things that she just went through. And it's because of how she's handled herself uh, during that. Um, You know, my son, he doesn't get hurt. I mean, that kid has had the living, he's had a soul knocked out of him, you know, three or four times and he, he bounces right up. So I know he has an internal drive. Uh, and I keep telling him, you know, eventually you're going to grow. Uh, and, you know, the, the playing field becomes more level uh, the older that you get. So it's been tough. Um, and it's, but it's, but it's tough from a standpoint of we know that it's out of their control. Um, that's been the tougher thing. There, there's no physical therapy that I could get that would be better for my daughter than another, you know, like I, I made sure that she had the best in those things and that's the best that I can do. Um, but yeah, quite a challenge. Uh, very, very, uh, challenging to watch. Yeah. Yes, sir. You're, uh, so both of, both of your, uh, stories for your children, uh, hit me in, in different ways. Number one, my little brother is almost, uh, exactly like your son. Yeah. Um, he uh, is very, very small um, going into his senior year. I guess very, very small. He, he's average. And 
in the state of Texas that does not buy you a, uh, a starting varsity position. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, but I've watched him just scratch and claw and um, fight his way to be on varsity and put his ego down and, you know, be on varsity and be the water boy on varsity or whatever he's gotten to do. He, he, he plays, um, you know, luckily his team was really, really good this year. Uh, they didn't go all the way to state, but they got up quite a few times on their opponents. And so he got to go in towards the end, but sure. um, I, I'm five years older than him. So I got to watch him do that his whole life. And it's always been incredibly impressive at the, the tenacity um, that it takes for him to do that. And <laughs> it's funny if it wasn't for football, he would never do anything in school whatsoever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how much uh, yep. <laughs> so, um, I, I completely understand that, but I actually, um, <laughs> I don't think you understand how hard your, uh, your daughter's story hits me because I have myself, um, almost the exact same, uh, issue as your daughter. Oh. Uh, I've got what's called uh, trochlear dysplasia, um, the trochlear glue groove in my kneecap is not deformed. And so, um, eighth grade football, I got pulled over my kneecap and, uh, do not feel bad about yourself, sir, because my dad was in these stands pissed as hell at watching me sit there on the ground. Um, I significantly remember, um, I, I can picture it right now on the field in Medford, Oklahoma. Um, my dad is in the stands screaming his head off, telling me to get back in the game. Um, I remember barely being able to walk to the bus, wait, not screaming his head off. I mean, you know, you know how it is. He's, yes. he's just yelling so that I can hear him. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't the, the live through your kid, dad. Um, but you know, he's yelling, get back in the game. You know, what the hell? Why are you sitting on the sidelines? Like he hasn't seen football in a year. Um, and I was somewhat good. So anyway, yeah, I ended up, uh, my kneecap had almost broke. It, it took a chunk out of my kneecap. Um, literally almost the exact same story for, I guess a different reason. I didn't have the, uh, the name that you struggled to pronounce that I'm not even going to try <laughs> the, the growth, um, the growth deformity. It was in a different way, but yeah. I struggled all through high school with that. Um, and so that, that hits me really hard. And I think that, um, having yourself, uh, one thing that I think probably helps your, your children when they do face failures is having yourself, um, be the person that has struggled against failure. Like we talked about before, um, all the, uh, <laughs> the acute failures of this episode, <laughs> um, before, before the, uh, the, uh, um, connection issues, we were talking about how you struggled through failure and that's what motivated you forward. Uh, do you ever sit down, you know, with your kids and talk about, um, the failures that you had to push through? Do they find yes. um, some motivation in that? Definitely. Um, I mean, the, the kids, you know, they call it the sermon in my house. So we, we try to have dinner together every night. I say try because, uh, now I found now and any parents listening can sympathize with this, you know, you get to a phase of your kids where you're basically just a shuttle service, right? You're running from one practice mm -hmm. to the next and this thing and that thing, and then school stuff. And, and I was really getting worn out. And my daughter started, when she started driving, she's, you know, 15 and, you know, fully licensed. And, and uh, now, now she gets to go wherever. And, you know, with my son, he works. Uh, my son is, uh, like I said, he's, uh, you know, younger uh, than my daughter. He's working at McDonald's. Um, and again, does he have to? No. I mean, we could give him an allowance that would cover that. But uh, he wants, he knows the value of money. 
Um, and so, you know, the, the nights now that we get are maybe if maybe th- three times a week, it used to be every night, but uh, we sit down and we talk about something. I mean, if the kids are telling me what happened in their day and this or that happened, I, I listen and then try and find an opportunity for a lesson somewhere in there. And, uh, sometimes that's, uh, related to my own business, you know, where, where we failed and, and, uh, you know, I've, I certainly have failed in business. I failed in, in life. I failed myself, uh, at, at times I didn't have somebody, uh, prepping me or picking me up and saying, look, this is how you deal with this type of adversity. Um, I quit on myself, uh, when I was younger, um, enough times that I didn't like the feeling that I had afterwards. So I adjusted and for the kids, I just tell them, you know, it's the worst feeling in the world to quit on yourself. So I'm telling you these things that you don't quit on yourself someday. Um, and it's been amazing, honestly, to, to watch them. And they're both, uh, both great kids and, um, you know, they haven't, they haven't let me down. Uh, they, they've, they continue to, to motivate me every day. That's awesome, sir. No, that that's, that's really great. And like I said, I, I sympathize with your daughter. The, the fact that she's pushing through a lot of that stuff is, is, uh, is amazing. And, um, you know, for me, I wish I would have pushed through a lot more because I've, I've had to work off. I'm down about 50 pounds right now, but I'm having to work off probably about a hundred pounds of weight, uh, because I didn't, you know, really push through and stay athletic like she did. So, sure. um, it's, it's something I wouldn't ever, I wouldn't go back and give it all for the game. You know what I mean? Like yeah. my, my, I'm going to have significant knee problems when I'm older, but I definitely would have stayed athletic like she is. So I, I completely commend her for, um, working her butt off despite the the problems that she's having. So sure. Thank you. But, um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, I want one of the questions that I knew I wanted to ask you, one of the topics that I really wanted to get in, uh, into with you here is, uh, business. Let's talk about, um, growing a business. I have already, I have started and shut down a business as a failure. (laughs) Um, in, in my young age that happened over the course of about a year, uh, where I started a business, spent a lot of money on it, realized that it was not, it had to back up and punt to say the least. Um, tell me about starting a business and what, what is required of, uh, how to, how to make a, an entrepreneurial venture successful. Give me your thoughts on that, please. Uh, well, um, first of all, the, the way to make it successful is number one, you got to be, you know, prepared to fail. Um, you have to face that and you have to be prepared multiple times. Um, I, I liken starting a business, uh, to, you know, sailing a ship, right? Um, you're going to chart a course. You're going to say, this is the direction that I'm going. But if you watch, you know, the, if you could follow in a GPS coordinate, a, a ship as it's sailing, it kind of zigzags a little bit here and there because you're constantly course correcting. And that's what it takes uh, when you're starting a business. Sometimes correcting that course is financially, right? Sometimes it's with your marketing. Sometimes it's with your product. Um, but sometimes it's with yourself. You know, what are your expectations for this? Are they too elevated? Are they not elevated enough? I find oddly uh, that most people fail in business because they fail to uh, prepare 
for success. So they don't know what success looks like. <clears throat> they, they have this idea of what this business is going to be. Um, and maybe it's just this vision of, you know, walking in and having 10 people say hello to them and, you know, they're <clears throat> packing, shipping, receiving, you know, whatever. I don't know. Maybe this is their vision. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, for some people, it, it, you know, it could be just the money that comes with it, the fancy car, they might drive whatever. Um, but if you truly get down to it, you know, what does this business look like when it's successful? You have to truly envision, okay, what is, how does that impact me? Okay. Does that mean I'm going to buy a house or buy a bigger house or whatever? My wife doesn't have to work. Um, but what does it look like for the people that are working with you? The, the employee, the team member, um, you know, are they successful too? And if you don't know what that, that vision looks like, then you might forget to celebrate it when you achieve it. And that's a very dangerous thing in any business is to not celebrate your achievement. <clears throat> so we don't want to dwell on, you know, the, the failures that we've had, but we definitely want to take time to celebrate the achievements and the businesses that don't, um, you'll find that the, the people that are there, um, they start to lose, uh, lose that, that extra something. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. So you're fine. Uh, <clears throat> dang. You okay? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is? <clears throat> I noticed you switched from the whiskey to the water. So yeah. Well, I have two two go to drinks: uh, Perrier and uh, bourbon. Uh, <laughs> it's a dichotomy. It's uh... <laughs> well, funny thing is, you know, you mentioned that uh, <clears throat> you don't drink very much, and truth is, I don't either. Um, I generally drink if I'm with friends, you know, when we're just kind of hanging out. Uh, but I'm not a heavy drinker by any means, and I, I drink water most just all day, constantly. Uh, so occasionally, I'll have a uh, a bourbon, but that's uh, rare. In the summer, maybe more often. Um, so, getting back to the business thing, um, you know, that's a that's a big part of it. Is you know, what is that? What is that vision of success? And that vision, if you have a family, has to encompass uh, how it impacts your family. Because right. I can promise you, um, I've been in a business. I was in a business in North Carolina. I moved out there to start that up with some partners and uh, found very quickly that the business was growing and we were building it and, and whatever, but I did not see my family. <laughs> I wasn't home right. for every night. Um, and the guys would actually <laughs> like make excuses to have meetings back at the office on weekends. Like the only time that I would have with the kids, you know, and, and they have families. And what I realized is their vision of success was anything that they could do to get away from their family. <laughs> it's sad to me. Um, right. And so for me, it was like, okay, well, this isn't, you know, we're not, we're not aligned here. Um, and and uh, eventually I just moved back to Montana, but you know, that's, that's a, that's a real aspect of it. So again, you know, when, when you're starting a, a business, it, it's, 
there's there's got to be a couple focal points. Of course, you need something that's going to sustain you. It's going to support you. It's going to be you know financially viable. In some cases, the focus might be on the product. And I'll tell you, when it comes to a, from a business standpoint, and this is where I've had issues with uh, partnerships in the past because we're not aligned this way. But I'll share it. There's there's two emphasis that you can have uh, when you start a business. One can be uh, product focused and the other can be profit focused. I am a product focused uh, entrepreneur. I focus on on the quality of the product and I believe that profit is a byproduct of of the product, if that makes sense. Yes, sir. Um, If you focus solely on the profit, uh, you know, to me, it, it just, you know, you can't, can't lead from a spreadsheet, can't plan from a spreadsheet, but there are people that do. And they generally don't see much value in the people, the team that's building it. Um, And it's just, it's simply about the economics of it. I'm not driven that way uh, whatsoever. Uh, A very well-known company that was product focused uh, from the onset uh, is Apple. Um, And even though Bill Gates is, you know, uh, not Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is a, well, Bill's a shitbag as a human too, but uh, <laughs> shitbag of a, a human in his, his personal life. Don't spit your water out. <laughs> you waited right until I was going to take a drink, didn't you? <laughs> Sorry. That probably came a little too naturally, but uh, I'm just, <laughs> I don't have to drink to tell you how I feel. Like you know, any guy that. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I just hope he doesn't own Spotify. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, you know, uh, Steve jobs was, you know, shitbag as, I mean, definitely as a father and as, as a person, but as an entrepreneur, um, as a, as a leader, he was very focused on product, uh, right. to a fault, uh, as it were for, you know, his investors and board members. Um, he wound up losing his job over it. And, you know, of course, now today, uh, I think, I don't think I know, uh, Apple as a company has more cash in its reserves than, than America. So, uh, you know, it's very, (laughs) very, very popular, um, as a result. So, um, I want to, uh, (laughs) you, uh, you started a whole company, uh, with the idea to make a 300 WinMag AR, correct? (laughs) It, yeah. Didn't you start? I forget what it was. That Falcor? That's Nemo. Nemo Arms. Is it Nemo? Okay, I didn't know if it was Nemo or Falcor, but I'll, I'll, um, I'll tie the two together for you, uh, if you'd like. But yeah, I, I started a started that company um, ten years ago uh, with two partners. Uh, one was a custom home builder friend of mine, and the other was a, a retired major general. Um, yeah, I mean it was. To, to be honest, I owned one AR-15 when I started that company. Everyone thinks I'm like this expert in the AR-15, and today I am. But at the time, uh, and I wasn't starting it because I was an expert in that platform. I was starting it because uh, a friend of mine who happened to be the head of the DOD at the time um, told me that that would be a viable solution for the military, that they would be looking for a auto-loading precision 300 wind mag um, as a uh, sniper rifle and um, no one had done anything like it and so we decided to go for it um, 
That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, well, I bring it up because I mean, you have to be, you have to be product focused in order to make something like that work when you're not just selling widgets. Um, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's just, it, it's kind of jaw dropping when you see somebody uh, take a leap, uh, take a leap like that and make it into something extraordinarily successful. Um, and so I don't know if you've heard of, uh, Andy Frazella very much, but you and him are, I mean, right there together. He, he's a very, uh, he, he's very enthusiastic, I guess on his podcast, but he always says, he's like, man, I always ask these people, uh, what is the point of owning a business? And every one of them says, make money. And he goes, no motherfuckers. The, the, the reason that you start a business is to solve a problem. And so like, I really like that the, the product focus, every, every successful person that I've talked to that has started multiple companies and keeps, you know, keeps being successful, they're product focused. Um, tell me a little bit about creating a culture in a company. That's something that I am, uh, you, you, you kind of, you skirted around it. I know the, the product focused is, uh, part of how you create a culture, but talk to me a little bit about uh, managing employees, uh, considering other people's interests, kind of like you said about, like, you, you said this, um, I just want to go a little bit deeper into it. Um, can you give us any sort of tactile, um, things to leave the podcast with, uh, for, for starting and growing a culture? Sure. Uh, so first of all, you know, company culture is everything. Um, and I, I'm very keen to it and I, I like the pirate theme. Anyone that's worked on, on uh, any of my teams uh, knows that we celebrate the pirate life. And what that really is, is Mike Leach, man, it, it doesn't mean, you know, mutiny or any of those things, you know, pirates are extremely loyal, um, very regimented, in fact, um, and they're focused on the mission um, to a point, um, you know, a pirate will never uh, walk by, you know, and, and see something that, isn't right, shouldn't be the way that, you know, whatever, and just walk by and go, that's not my job. No, a pirate's going to jump in and fix it and, and get it done. Um, pirates don't wait to go, what's the company protocol to do this, this, or that. Uh, they focus on fixing the problem and moving on. And that's why I like that um, a lot. The kid that was plugging in the uh, mic and headset in here uh, for me, just give you an example. So Austin, I've known him since he was about eight years old. Uh, his dad uh, worked for me uh, for a number of years. And uh, when I started up my consulting company, um, he was my first hire. Um, brand, you know, kind of new at doing uh, photography and videography and graphic design. And, uh, you know, we kind of built uh, the company, you know, with he and I. I mean, we were doing we had a bunch of fishing companies at the time as clients and that was purposeful. I was kind of burned out on the firearm industry. If I'm being honest, um, you know, firearm industry is unlike any that I've been in and that people, they're very, very conspiracy based. Um, and you know, I, I actually had people telling, t- telling me that I'm, you know, like anti-gun and, you know, like all this, shit. <laughs> uh, it's just so bizarre to me. Um, and at any rate, I needed a break. So I, I started focusing on fishing companies and I mean, Austin and I would go and, you know, I put dive weights on GoPro cameras and swim down to the bottom of the lake and place them all over and throw fishing baits until we got some fish, you know, on camera. 
uh, for some of our clients. It was just a blast. And this company grew um, very quickly and wound up uh, selling it to a, a larger company. Um, and, uh, you know, as with any larger company, you know, sometimes people feel like they have a better way of managing something than, than you do. Um, and, you know, we kind of lost a little bit of our culture, uh, in that process because again, it just became, you know, very systematic. Here's the job, do it. Here's the deadline, do it here, you know, and there was no right. culture to celebrate and kind of sad. So I've kind of come back in now and working with the team here again, but, you know, ultimately the, the concept is simple. Um, and, and you've probably heard this, it is somewhat cliche, you know, you, you pay people for their, their time and their talent, but what you want is their heart and mind. Um, you have to win a, a person's heart and mind. You have to earn that. And that's what I want when I uh, build a team. I want, I want their heart and mind. And I want them to feel like it's their company too. And there are ways for entrepreneurs to incentivize that. Um, but I'll step back a little bit in the hiring process, when I hire somebody, um, first of all, uh, let's take Falcor as an example. So I, I started Falcor uh, Defense with Jason and Melinda Sanju. It was called SI Defense prior to me changing the name. And uh, they were, um, you know, it's a big machine shop, does a lot of defense contracting and so on. And so, we kind of scaled the team down and then rebuilt it uh, with with the right uh, people. And so we, we were at like 140 something employees when I got there, went down to about 70 and then scaled back up to about 120. And um, as we grew, you know, we're hiring machinists and people to work to deburr and people to anodize and people to assemble and so on. I let the guys, you know, that oh, I let the guy that oversees assembly hire his own people. I let the guy that oversees the machine shop hire his, you know, machinist. I don't get involved in that except at one point in that process. And that is, okay, these are your candidates. These are the three people, the two, the one that you want to hire. And I ask that person one question. This is the only question that I ever ask when I, uh, if, unless I'm leading the interview, unless I'm looking for a CFO or a COO or something, I ask right. what their hobby is. And I don't care if their hobby is something that's in line with something that I do or something that the business, uh, does. In other words, you don't have to be a, a recreational shooter or hunter or any of those things to work at my firearm company. Um, you could, you know, quilting could be your hobby. And when they tell me whatever their hobby is, let's say it's quilting, then I say, well, tell me about it. And the level of enthusiasm with which they speak about their hobby helps me determine what the level of passion that they would have in general. Are they a passionate person? Because if they are, then they can be passionate about what we're doing. They can be passionate at work. Um, and that's the key um, to, to getting a, a person's heart and mind. If they're passionate, I'm a passionate person. I lead uh, with passion, um, and it, it, I need I need to be surrounded with people that that can have that same level of passion. Um, and that's what it takes um, to build uh, the right team. 
Um, that's the, the one uh, marker that I look for. And then from there, it's all about enabling people and, um, you know, working with them to grow the company and making them feel like they're a part of it. Um, <clears throat> do you, do you find that, uh, I, so I'm big into Jocko. Um, I'll let you take your, take your water break. Um, I'm big into Jocko. What are the best ways that you found to, uh, I guess, give ownership? Is that, is that something that you try to do quite a bit? Um, <clears throat> not, not like specific ownership. I'm sh- sure you know what I'm talking about when I say give ownership. Yes. Uh, it's easy on the marketing side. Uh, it's easy on the product side. Um, you know, examples of that on the marketing side are, look, here's the story that here's, here's what we got to tell. We got to, we got to, you know, celebrate this reel, this optic, this, you know, whatever this product is that we're doing the marketing for, um, you know, go out and create it, tell that story yourself and let's take a look at it. Um, and then, and then I'll critique it and say, okay, here's where we can make improvements or sometimes it's not completely out of the park. Um, what it does, it builds a trust and rapport, uh, with, with that, uh, person. And then, you know, sometimes they invite you to be a part of that process ahead of it. Hey, Clint, uh, we're, you know, supposed to go talk about this new thermal that we're working on. And I'm kind of hung up right now on what we should do to make it different. What do you, what are your ideas? We work together. Um, you know, that's the ownership, right? Um, and I yes, know, sir. I know that I've got it. I know that I've got buy-in, uh, from that, that, uh, employee team member, um, when they're working on nights and weekends to try to finish something up. Um, I'm not without me asking, they're just doing it because they're so excited to make it their best work. And I, I tell people at the same time, there was a saying, it was a John Deere saying, you know, never, never put your name on anything that doesn't celebrate the best in you. And that's, that was Nemo, right? Um, I wasn't right. with that rifle leave the factory unless it was perfect. And, uh, you know, it has my signature on it, so to speak. Um, now, yeah, I had partners and yeah, there were other people there, but that was just my personal take on it. Um, it's the same, you know, with any ad campaign we've ever done, uh, any product we've ever developed, I take it very personally. Um, and I want the people around me to take it personally. And I'll tell you, I can, I, I know when a person uh, doesn't have that, that uh, fire, that passion, because sometimes it goes away. Sometimes something changes in their life. Sometimes something changes at work and you can see where it's gone away. And when people stop uh, fighting for their, this is, you know, the, I'm, you know, I want, it needs to be this way. It needs to be this way. And I'm not talking about just being a overall pain in the ass. I'm talking about, you know, just on a particular project. I like right. that. And, and regularly I would say in the boardroom at any company I've had, you know, people are getting kind of heated in a discussion. I'll, I'll walk in. I like the energy in here. I like this. Let's keep yeah. this going. Um, so, you know, those are ways. Uh, those are ways that you that you can do that. And, of course, in the firearm side, you know, if I had a guy come in and say, hey, dude, I've been reading about this new caliber. You think this is something we should do? I don't know, man. Let's take a look at it and and really sincerely give it a thoughtful look. Um and, and then there was one last component of that because you got to keep it in check, right? So let's just take the, the gun analogy and someone comes in and says, oh, I've heard the new 
350 legend is hot you know let's let's try check that down and you know the world of ar they're always looking for the next caliber because they're trying to do something different uh off of a platform that was patented in like 1954 <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh so you know that hey we got to do this man it's the next hottest thing and whatever okay well tell me about it tell me more about it tell you know what, what did you find where'd you find this info okay this is that and so i said okay so if i go put this in production how many think we can sell a month um well i'd say we could at least sell 100 okay so 100 a month so that's 1200 a year so the quick math on that is that's going to be two two and a half million dollars that i'm going to put into this every month in order to have that rifle on the shelf somewhere two and a half million dollars in cash i gotta tie up that's a lot of money and so yeah 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 right and i'd ask him one last question Did you bet your job on it that's the question <laughs> uh because it's different when it's someone else's money right um yeah well, shit yeah we should do this but when i said would you bet your job on it it's like oh shit i better, I better. <laughs> uh so anyway um you know i like that kind of interaction i like that kind of rapport uh with with the team uh for sure that's awesome clint i i think that uh this has been really really cool honestly i followed you for a long time um on instagram i've always seen uh, your post. I've known you've been in the firearms industry. That's probably what I've known you most for. But uh, I, I appreciate your notes on the marketing side as well. I had no clue that you were um, into the marketing until I started researching you to come on this podcast. I thought you were strictly um, Nemo and Falcor, but it, it's it's really, really cool to see that you're into the marketing side of that. And I, I know specifically that there are a few people that will listen to this that um, will will like uh, your thoughts on marketing. Um, the, the The last thing uh, I guess, um, the last thing I guess I want to get from you okay. is, um, I'm trying to think of how to phrase the question in terms of what we just talked about. Uh, you say that your purpose is to be a, a leader and a mentor. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, the importance of maintaining positive, relationships with the people that you're trying to lead and mentor. Uh, I know it, it can be hard sometimes for people to, uh, to, how do I say this, especially from like a parent's point of view, um, or a business point of view. Uh, do you, do you think that it's God, how am I, I, I had the question in my head and now I can't think about it. Uh, I guess, yeah, I, I've noticed that you can't ever really influence anybody and this comes from Jocko but you can't really influence anybody um if they're not your friend or if they're not if they don't like you at the moment you know what I mean you can't make any changes in their lives so what do you do uh when you interact with a person or try to develop a relationship with the person to make sure that it's not antagonistic uh to make sure that your leadership and your mentorship can be felt and be put to use so the simple answer is uh demonstrate that's the simple okay. answer um, you know, let's face it, the, the world, the whole world is just full of bullshit and there's a lot of fake everything out there, right? I mean, you yes, can sir. fake whoever you want to be today. You can, you can fake that on Instagram. Uh, you can fake that on, you know, TikTok or one of these other things. Right. Uh, but what is your real, you know, 
what does that real life look like? What are you, what are you doing? Who are you when no one's listening, right? Who are you when, when all of these you know, people that follow you on Instagram are not around? Who are you like? What are you truly like? Um, for me, it's to demonstrate. Um, I want people to look, first of all, I'm, I'm a Christian, okay? Um, in fact, I'm going to see some Jesus movie or something tonight. I can't remember the name of it. My wife uh, said it's new and wants to go see it. Um, I don't, I don't uh, wear that on my sleeve. I demonstrate the gospel. Um, I want people to go, man, what is it about this guy? And then someday, like, I get an opportunity to share, you know, my, uh, my salvation, you know, how I came to Christ. Um, it's the same in business, man. It's the same as a leader. Uh, I don't want someone to go, I'm not going to tell somebody, Hey, I need you to go do this, this, and this, and then be afraid to pick it up and do it myself. All right. Uh, on the marketing company, you know, that, that part's easy. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I worked as a photographer for many years. Um, and, uh, I learned photography on my own. Okay. And, uh, you know, self-taught. And so I pick up a camera and I've earned a living doing that. So if I'm asking for this or, you know, this project, or I want this done this way, I know how to do it generally. Now I have people around me that do it a lot better than I can. And, uh, they have to know that, right. They have to know that there's an authenticity there, uh, that, that you're, not only willing to come alongside and help, but also capable, right? Um, and it's an interesting time right now because our business uh, on this front with the consulting company and marketing company has evolved and we have more people involved uh, now than we ever have. And uh, we had someone coming in to manage, you know, the, the scheduling of the, of the team and, you know, stepped into starting to give them direction on certain things. And, and they really don't have any capacity to be do, giving direction and the team picks up on it. Right. They're like, right. what? you don't even know what you're talking about. <clears throat> so it comes across as disingenuine and it's kind of demeaning as well. So I would say, you know, you got to know what your boundaries are too. Right. Yes, uh, you know, I suck at math right? I'm not, I never went to school for business and that sort of thing. I hire someone that's way smarter than me to manage the books. Okay. And you know, I'm, I tell people all the time, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at two things when it comes to money, making it and spending it. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not good at managing it. So I hire somebody to manage it. Even in my personal life, I haven't looked at my personal finances in 15 years. Yes, sir. People would be like, what? I have not looked at a bank statement of any type or bill in my personal life in 15 years. And, you know, there now I know there's some dudes out there. Holy crap, I'd never trust my wife to do that. Well, that's your own problem, not mine. Uh, my wife yes, is my CFO. Uh, that stands for Chief Financial Obstacle. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely the consumer in the family. Okay. I buy all kinds of stupid shit. She never objects to it, but she manages the money. And 
the fact is she's better at it than I am. And it's just not something that I do. So as a leader, you've got to be able to go, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And I'm going to bring somebody in alongside me to do that thing that I know is a weakness to me. And yes, that element uh, to me is it's that element. Um, so I think that answers your question. Uh, yeah, well, it was a it was a poorly worded question. I was floundering and you gave me uh, you gave me gold out of that. So I appreciate that. Uh, okay. So my uh, <laughs> my uh, ability as an interviewer, as as the as the podcast is going on, is, is getting less and less. So but I appreciate you for that answer. So um, basically what I took from that is to to be a good example, um, to be a good example and have self-awareness for for the things that you are not good at um, and truly lean on other people around you uh, for those things. And it, it fosters a, a relationship of, of trust between you and them both. Um, so when, when you speak up about the things that you're good at, because you're, you're, because you're being a good example, um, they listen. And because you trust them to handle the things that you're not good at, they will listen to you when you do actually have a problem. You know, if you came to your wife and you said, Hey, uh, you manage the money, but that interest rate seems kind of high because you have that interest or that uh, relationship of trust. Um, she might actually turn and be like, Oh, you know what? You're right. You know? So, yeah. Um, no, that's you know, true. That's honestly my, my, uh, my wife is, uh, you know, complete, completely opposite of me. Okay. So I am a fire and forget weapon and uh, <laughs> she <laughs> very methodical and planning and, and, uh, whatnot. Uh, I react or overreact to things at times that she's like, eh, you know, not a big deal. Um, and, and it works really well. There's definitely a yin and yang there. And, uh, that's why we've been together 23 years in August, actually. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. You should, yeah, you know, for her, she probably needs some consoling. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> well, my condolences to your wife. Uh, congratulations to you, sir. Thank you. Um, yes. It sounds like all of us that are listening to this that you might have outpunted your coverage a little bit. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but uh, so, um, Clint, I I don't want to uh, take up any more of your precious time. I sincerely appreciate you. You were you were already towards the top of uh, one of the people that I love to watch uh, succeed on Instagram. And because of your graciousness, uh, dealing with all of my technical issues today and giving me your time, um, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for coming on here and, and giving me your time and, and your words of wisdom for for my listeners. Hey, I, I appreciate you too, Haas. Listen, uh, I'll tell you something. I've been on a few different uh, podcasts and I think that you are a good interviewer. Uh, you listen, you ask the right questions, uh, you're enthusiastic, you're humble. Uh, I like that you shared some of your personal plight with me. Um, and I think you're going to be very successful doing this. Um, so my, my advice to you, uh, not that you asked for it, but I'm going to give it to you. Um, I need it. I need it. You started this podcast, um, these little hiccups that we're having, like the technical stuff, these are the things that you're going to look back on as the best days of when this started. Okay. Yes, sir. All of those little things that pop up and you know, where you're chasing somebody down to get them scheduled, where you're having a technical issue where, you know, whatever, uh, those are the things that you're going to look back and say, man, those were the best days of when I started this thing now. So that's, that's one. 
Number two, when you get to the top, when when Joe Rogan is you know waiting for you to call him to come on his <laughs> come on your show, uh, don't forget about me, okay? Uh, yes, sir. But I, I I genuinely I I genuinely believe that that you're going to do well uh, with this. I like the direction, and uh, I wish you the best with it. I really do. Man, I, I, that means so much to me. I really I really appreciate you saying that. And uh, this is just this has just been so awesome. I can't believe where where uh, I'm at with this. Just starting in August, being able to to get you on here and um, hearing that. I, I can't I can't thank you enough, Clint. So um, that that was awesome. Uh, Everybody, thank you for listening to uh, the Purpose Podcast, Clint Walker. Uh, this is going to drop probably either this most the the next this Sunday, upcoming Sunday. Um, well, you, if you're listening to it, it doesn't matter. Anyway, for your information, Clint, <laughs> it may either post the Sunday that we're recording recording this or the Sunday after that. Okay. Uh, go listen to the Purpose Book Club every single Wednesday. We go over a book. Uh, we'll be listening to Blood Meridian by the time this comes out. So um, go get on that, Clint. If you don't mind staying on the line, I need to get a few things from you um, yep. after we get off, after, I, after I'm done recording. So sure. thanks again, Clint. It was super awesome. Everybody, go follow Clint on Instagram. Oh, that's what we need to do. I forget every single time. What is your, uh, what is your Instagram handle? My Instagram handle is at the underscore Clint underscore Walker. That's it. Uh, awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. No problem. So, uh, yeah, go uh, go follow Clint on Instagram. Do you have any other socials? You were probably about to say that, and I cut you off. I apologize. No, Do you have I, anything no, else? I don't have other socials. Uh, I it's just Instagram, man. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, go follow him. Uh, if you need uh, some badass marketing consultation, uh, go hit him up. So, thanks, Clint. I'm gonna end the recording right now. <laughs>